0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. How are you guys doing this evening? Good. Praise the Lord. For this evening, so this is kind of cool. It's kind of a Palm Saturday Sunday. So we get to do the first palm. So everybody, here's the cool thing. In order for this Bible study to work, everybody needs a palm. You have a palm, lift it up. (laughs) Go like this. Okay, we'll do that later. If you have a Bible, let's open it to Matthew chapter 21. What's interesting about this story, you know, we have four gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they don't all tell the same stories. Um, they all have different angles, and you know it's like something dramatic that happens. If you had four people on four different corners, everybody has a unique angle, and they they see what they see from their angle, and that's kind of the purpose of the four gospels. We get to see Jesus from a variety of views, and, and in a way, kind of north, south, east, and west, we get to look at him in all of those different ways. So. One thing that is very important to realize, though, is that this story, the story of Palm Sunday, is told in all four Gospels. And what I think that tells us is if there's something repeated and nobody writing about Jesus could leave it out, it's very important. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you. Uh, for this evening you're the one that when you created the heavens and the earth you said in the evening and the morning was the first day and so forth so really this is the beginning of the new day as the sun is setting this is the beginning of that newness and that freshness so lord it is the very thoughts of our hearts and the worship that is come from our mouths and the time that we're spending in the word tonight, these are the things that will be on our minds as we go into sleep later this evening, into our dreams, and into our thoughts. And so, Lord, begin working on us even now and through this night in preparation for a glorious Palm Sunday. And we thank you for all those who are listening uh, to the radio, those who are watching online, uh, Lord, we pray that we might hear what the Spirit would say to us, in Jesus, wonderful, mighty name we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. Okay, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, and what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll splice in a few scriptures from some of the other gospels so we get kind of the complete story, but this will be the main uh, text for the story of Palm Sunday, and and it's by Matthew. And so let's look at verses 1 through 3. Matthew 21, beginning in verses 1 through 3. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied... And a young colt with her, loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, "The Lord has need of them, and immediately He will send them. So basically, this is the setup for the day you know so what is Palm Sunday? Let's start with a basic question. What is Palm Sunday? It is the day we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I wanna begin with this in verses one through three, the first life application. Today begins what is called Passion Week. Everybody look up here and say out loud with me, Passion Week, Passion Week. Did you know that this is what this week is called? It is literally called around the world and through the church from the very beginning, Passion Week. Because this is the week, uh, really the culmination of all Jesus' life and ministry where he showed his passion. He showed his love, greater love. The Bible says, has no man than this, than, that he lays down his life for his friends. So this is what this week is all about. Literally, all the parables, the stories, the miracles, the healings, all the things that happened were a setup for this One glorious revelation. Here's where Jesus literally took the inside, the secret part of his heart, and he let the whole world see it, the whole universe see it, that he loved this world so much. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus loved the whole world so much that he literally laid down his life He gave it up willingly, voluntarily, knowing what would happen to him. He said, I'm gonna do it. I'm gladly doing it. Father, it's my joy to do your will. It is written in the volume of the book. I have come to do thy will, O my Father. Because God's love for humanity was so burning and so passionate, so intense, so deep. And I want you to know that that love that Jesus had, that led him to be crucified, includes you and me. We were in the mind's eye of the Father in heaven and of the Savior Jesus Christ. He saw us, he knew us, he loved us then, and for all of us he gave his life to die for you and for me. Can I hear an amen on that? So this is exactly one week from his resurrection. As Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem, it is the culmination of his whole life's ministry. He's on a journey to Golgotha. His whole three and a half year ministry, every miracle, every parable, every teaching, everything that he ever did was for this one goal. I'm going to Golgotha. I am headed to the cross. I am coming to Calvary. And there I will defeat the devil. There I will destroy darkness and sin. There I will conquer the world that is against my Father in heaven and rise forevermore. So Jesus came from heaven to seek the lost. Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Do You know what humanity is? lost. Just read the newspapers, read the headlines, around the world, plenty of bad news. How many would agree there's a lot of lost people in this world? That's why Jesus came, to save the lost. And now, this week was the time, and Jerusalem, this was the place that would secure our salvation for all time and eternity. So this is the beginning, Palm Sunday is the beginning of what is called Passion Week, the final seven days of Jesus' earthly ministry. And Palm Sunday is the beginning of the end of Jesus' work on earth. So he came and he, so if I can describe it this way, uh, he would be coming up to the top of the Mount of Olives from the eastern side. And as he comes to the top of the Mount of Olives, on this side of the Mount of Olives, this is great. So let's say where I'm standing, where my pulpit is, the stage, this is the Mount of Olives. It goes down to pretty deep to what's called the Kidron Valley. And it's not very wide, kind of like the front part you know, from the stage here. And then beginning, just slowly as that rises where you all are, uh, right in the middle is another mountain called Mount Moriah. The Mount of Olives, just like, you know, the stage is a little bit higher than where you are, so the Mount of Olives is a little bit higher than Mount Moriah. So Jesus has come, this is how you come to Jerusalem. He's coming from the desert, and he comes up to the top of the Mount of Olives, and when you get to the crest of the Mount of Olives, you're looking over this deep uh, valley called the Kidron Valley, and there right there on Mount Moriah is the glorious, beautiful temple of the Lord. And, he, and by the way, because we, the way he came, there was the east gate on the way to the temple, right inside and on the temple mount. And Jesus has come all of this way in order that he might enter into that eastern gate and that he might give his life for the sins of the world. So look with me in verses four through eight. Because when Jesus appears at the top of the Mount of Olives... As you can imagine, there's people everywhere, all over. So there's Mount Moriah in the middle. There's the southern part, the northern part. Uh, There's people that live on the Mount of Olives. And now, for the last three, three and a half years, everybody's heard of Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. For three years, it's been building. Is he the Messiah? Everybody's been talking about, is he the Messiah? Could he be the Messiah? He's doing miracles greater than Elijah the prophet. Greater and more than Elisha, the prophet. He's even doing things bigger and greater and grander than Moses. When God did all of those plagues and delivered an entire nation miraculously into the promised land. Is he, could he be the Messiah? So when Jesus gets up there and he says, okay, two of you guys go over there, go to this house, ask for the, I want a colt. Get the donkey, get the mom, but I want the colt that no one's ever ridden upon it, so it's not it's not a broken animal. So this would be miraculous. That, you know, a wild little young donkey, no one's ever ridden on him, will take the Lord Jesus. Which also means Jesus is very if he's on the little colt, his feet are kind of scuffing the ground. He's low, he's humble, he's accessible, he's available. He's not intimidating like being on a big horse. You could run up to him. And now they've heard of him, they've seen him. He's done miracles up in Galilee and then he keeps coming to Jerusalem, doing miracles and all kinds of amazing things and teachings and parables. So now everybody goes, hey, isn't that Yeshua? Look, there he is, he's on the Mount of Olives. And, you know, they're waiting for him. They've probably all been talking about it. They've come from north, south, east, and west, and we're going to go to Jerusalem at Passover. We're going to get to see that Jesus guy again. What's he going to do this time? What miracle might happen? What will come out of his mouth? What amazing parable? And they liked how he would always kind of duke it out with the religious guys. He was smarter than them, and he would trap them, and they tried to trap him. So they were like, this is going to be amazing. So they start telling everybody, come, come, come. There's Jesus, and they're all pointing to him. So look with me in verses four through eight. A large multitude gathers all over Jerusalem because they can see him at the top of the Mount of Olives, crying out for the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecy. So beginning in verse four, it says, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, The foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes began to cry out. We'll hold off right there for just a moment. So as Jesus comes, now this this was a very, very particular day, uh, this Palm Sunday, because it's literally just a few days away from Passover. So this day is Nisan 10, not the car Nisan, but N-I-S-A-N, it's the month Nisan. The month of Nisan was the holiest month in the Hebrew calendar. And it happened every year in the spring. It was the first month of the religious Jewish year. Every year, Passover, where they're remembering where their nation was born, the great Passover happened in Nisan. Did you know that the kings of Israel, all throughout the Old Testament history of Israel and the kingdom of Israel and King David and Solomon and all these other kings, they were inaugurated and the month of Nisan. Nisan was known as the month of kings. And now in this Nisan, in this month, is going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, what's interesting is it's on, we know exactly what day 2,000 years ago it was. It was a Sunday and it was also Nisan Ten. Nissan 10. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write that date down. It's a very, very important date. Nissan 10. Then you can go back in your Old Testament, read Exodus chapter 12, and, and that section that talks about Passover. Because what was special? At the first Passover, what happened on Nissan 10? They'd never had Passover before. God says, okay, this is the last plague. The angel of the Lord's going to go out. And what I need you guys to do is every family, there's, you know, about three million Jewish people. He goes, I want every individual family to get a lamb. And I want you to inspect your lamb for, you're gonna choose a lamb for your house and for your family, because I'm gonna send my angel over this whole land of Egypt. And I'm going to need, he's going to need to see blood, the blood of a lamb, and by the way, the lamb has to be the best lamb that you have or that you can find. It has to be a lamb without spot or without blemish. Because that lamb is gonna be sacrificed by you and that lamb is gonna be sacrificed to save your firstborn son. Because what I'm about to do, and by the way, God prepared, he told Moses, this is the one, this is is gonna break Pharaoh in half. He's gonna let my people finally go. Because he's gonna lose his son. He says, but with the angel of the Lord, wherever he sees the blood of an innocent lamb on doorposts and right here on the lintel beam, three places. He goes, then the angel of the Lord will pass over you or protect you and the life of your firstborn will be spared. Now, how many of you know that that night when they knew sometime tonight, this angel is gonna pass over and like, People are going to, firstborns are going to die. Man, how many of you know they all have their blood, their slathering blood left and right? Sons are helping out. Get that blood on that door. And do you know that the Egyptians had already gone through the first nine plagues, and every time Moses said, here's what's coming, it came. So there were a lot of Egyptians that were saying, what did Moses say left? You know, what's up? What's up? He said, well, he said, this thing, you know, angels coming, and the firstborn is going to die if you don't have the blood of a lamb. So they said, Get the, we're, we're doing it. And there were many Egyptians who did it. They also sacrificed, put blood. Now, that date was Nisan 10. So Nisan 10 was a few days before the actual Passover. Nisan 10 was lamb selection day. Nissan 10 was the day that every family had to choose their lamb, then they would bring it into their house for four days. And they were to inspect it for four days to make sure that during the four days, something, a blemish, you know, a rash, uh, irritation, something they hadn't seen and it shows up, whoop, you got to get that, you need another lamb. So it had to be inspected for four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in preparation for the Passover. And if it passed all those inspections, it was found to be worthy to be sacrificed. Now here's what I want you to know. Sunday, 2,000 years ago, called we call Palm Sunday, was Nisan 10, it was Lamb Selection Day. All the families of Israel were getting ready to select a lamb that would be sacrificed at the altar there in the Temple Mount. And that's the day that God said, son, I want you to sit on the donkey. He set it up with a prophecy. Four or 500 years earlier, he says, you sit on the little, humble, lowly, accessible donkey, because you're a king of the people, and you ride in. And it's basically, why did God choose Lamb Selection Day as Palm Sunday, where now the people are gonna say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is because God was saying, this year, this Passover, I want you to select my lamb. Because my lamb, behold, remember what John the Baptist said? He looked at Jesus when he, when he got baptized three years earlier. And he said, behold, as he pointed to Jesus, as Jesus walked up and down the Jordan River, behold, the lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. There he is. All the animal sacrifices from Abraham, you know, all the way up until the time of Jesus were a model, a picture, a foreshadowing of the ultimate lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So I believe that God was just saying, hey, I want you to look at my lamb, my son, who will on Passover be sacrificed. And and they challenged him for four days. They questioned him. They tested him. And guess what? Jesus passed the test. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. He was worthy to be the Lamb of God. Amen? So, um, it's interesting that when the people saw all of this, they start crying out with the hosannas and they're tearing down the palm branches. Look with me again at verse eight. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now let's read from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses uh, 12 and 13, because John is the one that tells us the branches they were tearing down were palm branches where we get the word or the phrase Palm Sunday. So let's read this out loud. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the king of israel so they tore down palm branches and they cast them you know they're waving the palm branches but they all took their coats off and put it on the ground now this is something that was done years earlier uh generations earlier with king jehu second kings chapter 9 verse 13 they what what it was it was a humble you know people and, and they basically said, wow, we don't want the donkey to have to be walking on this dirt road. So they took their coats off and they, th- they just threw all of their coats on the road so that the donkey walked. It wasn't royal, it was humble, shepherd-like people, but it was their way of saying, this is the king, we don't even want one hoof of that animal to touch the ground but we want the king to enter this way. And that's how King Jehu entered. And so, they, they, so there's coats that are being thrown off everybody all the way, there was a little path from the Mount of Olives down the Kidron Valley and up through into the Eastern Gate. And that's what they were doing. And it was beautiful and it was precious. Now the palm branches, they're cutting those down and they're waving palm branches. So, so everybody would go like this, wave your palms. <laughs> Imagine these are like palm branches, right? and there's millions of them. What's the big deal about the palm branch? The palm branch was kind of a national symbol of Israel. I want you to think of it like this. You know how, you know, at a rally of some kind and all of a sudden people feeling very patriotic and they, and they start waving the American flag. Like, you know, this, the stars and the stripes, man, we're proud, proud of our country, proud of our nation or whatever, that's our flag. In a way, this was Israel's national symbol. They're waving, because there's palms everywhere in Israel. So they're waving their palms. But it was a way of acknowledging, we believe that man sitting on that donkey on this day is, in fact, the Messiah. So look at me in verse 9. It says, And on that first Palm Sunday... They honored Jesus with worship and praise. Verse 9, it says, And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Son of David. Hosanna means praise now, praise God, praise the Lord, praise the the Father, praise that the son of David has come. The Messiah would be the son of David. It's a messianic cry that they are now giving out. And in their praise of of Jesus, the Jewish crowds are quoting Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26 This is a quotation. They knew the scriptures. They knew Psalm 118. This is something that they'd heard since they were little boys and little girls. Every week with their parents reading the Hebrew scriptures and prophecies is that one day Mashiach will come. One day the Messiah will come. And Messiah means the anointed king that God will give us a special king like King David, the man after God's own heart, the shepherd king, the warrior king who took down Goliath, the the king with a heart who danced before the Lord with all of his might, who knew God and wrote Psalms. I mean, they loved David, they honored David, and they, they were now realizing a greater than David is coming. David's son who will be the Messiah. So this was a well-known messianic psalm, and now they're attaching the Messiah, the son of David, to Jesus of Nazareth. And it was beautiful and it was powerful. Now as the people start going crazy, they're like, whoo! You, you know, when you're with a crowd and you feel the energy and, and literally the sounds and the vibrations uh, and the celebration and the praise, I, I bet it was rocking their ears. And they're yelling and praising. Well, the religious people, some of the religious leaders are going crazy. They don't like Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. He hasn't come through them. So in Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. So again, this is another gospel that gives a little bit different angle. But let's read it to put it in. Because this is where you're imagining all these hundreds of thousands that are shouting, Jesus, 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 Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. He is the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Luke 19 verse 39 says, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Woo. And I want to hear those stones. I wish they would have been quiet just for a little bit. But you know what's interesting? For many years, I looked at that as it's kind of, you know, spiritual metaphor, right? You know, that the rocks would cry out. It's beautiful. It's poetic. But then the Lord began to show me that it could literally be true. You say, well, wait a minute. How, How is that possible? Well, these days in modern science, and some of you know this because you're smart. And you have a science background, and you know it better than I do. But what I'm gonna share with you is very real and very well known. When, like, I'm speaking to you, and I am using my voice, and my voice is sounds that are making vibrations, and those vibrations of my, the sound of my voice, literally, there's little particles that go out, and they embed my words. It's not just invisible, sound is something. It's waves of energy that literally go out and penetrate. You're hearing my voice in your ear and the vibration, but there's literally physically something that goes out from the sound of a human voice that embeds little tiny particle waves into the fabric, into the pews, into the whole deal of what's happening now. Did you know that basically, what's a CD? A CD is a modern stone Where you put the vibrations in a certain way that attaches itself to that little disc so that later you can play back the exact vibrations that were put into the disc and you can hear it again exactly as it was. Right? Here's what's amazing. Many, many years earlier that God took the, the people there and they would... Yell and they would shout the praises of God, the word of God. They made a commitment to God. We love you. We will follow you. We are your people. And they shouted literally into the stones of Israel that he was their God. They were his children. They believed in his word, and they followed him. And the sound of their ancient voices were embedded literally into the rocks. And I believe that Jesus was saying, if I have to, I can turn the CD player on and you'll hear the echoes of your own fathers and mothers who were giving praise to my Father in heaven. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen on that? Is that cool or what? So let's go look for that CD when we get to heaven. But anyway, Jesus' purpose in you know, going publicly on the top of the Mount of Olives do you do you remember you've read in the scriptures where how many times for the last three years he would do some incredible miracle, and then he would go shh don't tell anybody. It's like what, like you were blind your whole life and then you then now I can see and he goes shh don't tell anybody or deliver somebody or whatever and he was like my time hasn't come shh keep it among, you know keep it on the down low right now and people get all excited and they would go telling it wasn't the time it wasn't the hour to go public he was waiting. But all of a sudden, on this day, he didn't tell his disciples, shh. He didn't say, be quiet. He didn't say, it's not the hour. He didn't say, it's not the time. He said, today, bring the donkey, bring the little colt. Put me up on the Mount of Olives, which is like putting him on the big screen in ancient Jerusalem. I want the whole, from anywhere you are in Jerusalem, you have gathered to be in the city, They're all over the mountains and the valleys, from Mount of Olives to Mount Moriah, Mount Zion is all right there. Anybody could point and look up and see who's on the top of the Mount of Olives. It was going public, unashamedly, openly, publicly. And yes, let them praise me. Let them call the Messianic Psalms. Let them quote Psalm 118. For I am the Messiah. I am the King. And I have come to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. Amen. Amen. Now, as beautiful as that is, let's close out with verses 10 and 11. It says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Now, they knew who he was. They'd all been talking about him the last year, waiting for this Passover. What's he going to do this year? What's he going to do next? Who is this man? Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the multitude said, this is Yeshua, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So I love this. Uh, They came, they saw him, and they were moved by him. But even as all of these people are now coatless, (laughs) they've thrown all their coats on, now Jesus is ridden down to the bottom of the Kidron Valley and he's making his way onto the Eastern Gate. They missed the true reason for Jesus' presence that day. They could not see and they could not understand what was really going on that day. And Jesus reached a point as he got kind of to the bottom of the Mount of Olives, and you can look straight across, you're at eye level with the Eastern Gate, there's just a little bit of the valley that is left now. And as Jesus stood there ready to go on that little donkey in and through the eastern gate up to where the temple mount itself was, he stopped and he began weeping. He began to weep. And again, another gospel writer, Luke chapter 19, tells us about that and what, why was Jesus weeping? What did Jesus say? What are we to remember on Palm Sunday of the significance of that day. Luke chapter 19, verses 42 through 44. So let's read it out loud. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you, and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. They didn't know the time of their visitation. They didn't realize what this triumphal entry meant to Jesus, first of all, and secondly, what it really meant for all of them. Because when Jesus came at this moment and even allowed them to acknowledge him, yes, I am the Messiah, it wasn't the way, it wasn't going to happen the way they wanted it to happen. It was going to, it was not going to work out the way that they thought it should work out. Know this, there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I love this, read with me Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. It says, after these things I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Isn't that interesting? The book of Revelation talks about this crowd that ultimately stands before the throne of God, and they've got palm branches in their hands, acknowledging him in heaven afresh as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But what I want to close with is this. The reason that Jesus wept and the reason that he said, if only you had known this day, the day of your visitation. They were thinking that Jesus is going to come and and overthrow the Romans. I mean, look at the power this man has. Blind, from birth, no problem. Eyes open. Deaf, no problem. I can open their ears. Cannot speak, your tongue is dumb. I can make you speak. Lame, from birth, I can make you walk, run, and leap. Dead, (laughs) I can raise you from the dead. Possessed, with demons, I can deliver you. For three and a half years, the people are going, can you imagine what will happen when Jesus unleashes that kind of power on those Roman soldiers and takes them out? And finally, we have political salvation. We'll be great again as we were under our father, David. And they were looking for that, but they missed it. And in fact, no doubt there were some of those, like if Jesus had delivered the political results that they wanted, They would have been happy, and they would have been satisfied with him, but because he didn't, he didn't use his power in the way they thought he should use his power to deliver them from Rome and deliver them from oppression, and instead, he ended up saying that our temple's going to be destroyed. He said, what is he talking about? Not one stone left upon another? What are you, you doing? You're unraveling everything. And within a week, some of those who said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord, would say, crucify him. Crucify him. He's turned his back on us. Apparently, he's not for the Jewish nation. He thinks the temple's going to be destroyed. Well, if he's really the Messiah, then let's see if he can deliver him from this re- crucifixion. And they kept waiting for him. Is he going to use? And there were probably people, yeah, he's going to do something. He's going to come through. He's going to, and he did nothing. And, he, and then they hear, he died. And to them, that was it. And it was all over. And they missed it. They didn't see it. They couldn't grasp it. The reality is the triumphal entry is one of the great contrasts of all of human history. And I want to close by saying that the contrast have application for our own hearts. Jesus' Palm Sunday is the story of a lowly servant on a donkey. He did not come on a prancing stallion. He was not in royal robes, but in clothing of the poorest of poor and the humble. They kept waiting for him to use his supernatural power to lead the armies of the Jewish militants and overthrow and conquer Rome by force. But instead, Jesus yielded up his life. He gave his back to the smiter. And when he was accused of blasphemy and you said the temple will be torn down and are you against the law of Moses? Who do you think you are? He didn't say anything. He didn't even defend himself. Jesus did not seemingly use his powers in the way that they thought that he should, but Jesus came and said, no, I am going to conquer them. I'm going to do something better than just winning a battle in one day. I'm going to defeat Satan for all time and eternity. And what they didn't know is, yes, I'm going to die, but I'm taking your place. I'm paying for your sins. And then because I am holy and I am pure and I lovingly laid down my life, death cannot hold on to me. And I will break it in two. And I'll tell you how I'll do it and when I'll do it on the third day. Basically, Jesus put his whole life in ministry on this. He's, and he'd been saying this for three years. I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be betrayed. I, this is, they're not taking my life, I am offering it, I'm laying it down, I am the Lamb of God, I am a sacrifice, I'm doing it for you. And then on the third day, if I don't rise from the dead, I'm not who I claim to be. But if I rise from the dead, everything I said is true. Everything I claim about who I am is right on. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that I am the Lord. So Jesus rose on the third day, but he came in God's way and in God's time. And so basically to sum it all up, what they didn't understand from the Old Testament scriptures. Yes, there were a lot of scriptures about the king, the Messiah, Israel. We're going to rule. We're going to reign. The other nations will come to us and we'll worship God together. But what they didn't realize is, there were two pictures of the Messiah in the Old Testament. There was one picture of a, in fact, the Jewish people, even to this day, I don't know if you know this or not, they believe in two Messiahs. Because there's one picture in the Old Testament about a servant who gets humiliated and and humbled and rejected and betrayed and sacrificed. They call him, in Jewish terms, Messiah, the son of Joseph. Because you know Joseph, all the stuff that he suffered, down in Egypt. So, but then they have another Messiah they call Messiah, the son of David. He's a king, he's strong, he's powerful, he brings victory, and the whole world is underneath his feet. Well, they basically, what they did is they just kind of were not excited about Messiah, the son of Joseph. All they thought about, all they talked about, all they wanted was the political Messiah. The Messiah that will deliver, you know, kind of all the outward cool stuff to make us feel good and be prosperous and everybody bound down to us. And what they did not realize is that it's not two messiahs. It's one messiah with two comings. And the first coming was to be Messiah the son of Joseph who would be humble and lowly, a lamb who would lay down his life and all of those prophecies about being rejected and betrayed and crucified and bearing the sins and being the lamb of God and then rising from the dead. He, first of all, saved us. And then he said, then I'm gonna gather a whole family of Jews and Gentiles from all over the world, and then one day, I'm coming back. When I come back, I'm not coming back as the lamb. When I come back, I'm coming back as the lion. We're showing the other side of the coin. That's when he's coming in power. That's when his eyes will burn like fire. That's when he opens his mouth. And from heaven, a piercing sword comes and judges all of his enemies. There's no fight. Jesus opens his mouth. He gives the word, game over. He rules, he reigns. And he is going to come a second time. He's going to come a second time. And guess what? When he comes a second time, he's going to, he, you know where he's coming to? The Mount of Olives just like the first time. And he's gonna do that triumphal entry. But he said, when I come again, you're gonna be saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and you're gonna know who I am. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. But now he's risen. He's like, you know, John said, I heard the voice of a lion. All of heaven shook when he spoke. I turned around. And he was like a lamb who had been slain, Was burning like the sun, and he comes to rule and reign. So, I want you to stand up and bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to give an invitation because Jesus is coming again. But in the meantime, What he's been doing the last 2000 years is his resurrected spirit has gone to every human being for their whole life and he knocks on the outside of you on the door of your heart. And this is very, you know, these are his words. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in. That's salvation. And I think that this last year with this virus and pandemic and the economy and the chaos and confusion and despair and darkness, there are many people that have been shaken out of maybe kind of their comfortable life. They kind of wanted their life to be a certain way, just like the Jewish people. Hey, couldn't it all be kind of cool and good and wonderful and... It hasn't been going that way, and God is trying to get your eyes on, there's something most important. You need to be, you need to be saved on the inside before everything can make sense on the outside. So, Jesus is, and I love it, he, what a gentleman, he's God. <laughs> and yet he respects your house, and he knocks on the door. There's many other religions that are, you know, the cults, weird, Gurus are very weird and aggressive and forceful and threatening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not Jesus. He knocks. And he says, I'm I'm what when, when he knocks on the door, what he's he literally is letting you know, I made you and I created you and I love you and I want to be in you, but I'll only come in if you open the door. Someone has said the human. Door, heart is on the inside. Only you can open it. He won't make you. Nobody goes to heaven that doesn't want to. You got to choose. So I'm going to say a very simple childlike prayer. And if you would like to pray with me and everybody that knows the Lord can pray with me right now. But maybe you need to give your life to Christ for the very first time or recommit your life to Christ. And um, I'm going to say a very simple prayer. And believe me, you're just going to admit what to me is kind of obvious, that you're lost you're broken, uh, you're not perfect. Whatever degree of mistakes and failures, we, we don't judge, you know, well, I'm better than a lot of you know mass murders or whatever. That doesn't really go anywhere. We've all fallen short, we've all blown it, we've all made mistakes, we all have regrets, and we carry the weight of sin, shame, and guilt. So you just be personal and honest. Lord, forgive me of everything I've done wrong. I thank you for loving me and I'm inviting you into my life. And he'll come in and fill you with his spirit and give you eternal life. So, if you're willing, and if you're watching at home, listening online, whatever, uh, or it's a radio, I want you to say this prayer. Say it with me, out loud, after me. And he will hear you, and you will be saved. So let's pray together, those who are willing after this matter. Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I am so sorry for everything I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of eternal life. Now help me follow you, Jesus. All the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, welcome into the family if you prayed that prayer. (laughs) hallelujah. And afterwards, uh, we have a little book we'd like to give to you. It's on either side of the steps here. It's called The Habits of a Disciple. You're like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Martha, Mary, and this will, it's our gift. You can, we'll put the, the deal on the online thing and mail in to us and we'll, we'll send that to you. Let, let me just close with this. So after Jesus got to the bottom of the um, uh, Mount of Olives, he crossed the Kidron Valley, still on the little donkey, and then he started climbing up uh, the Mount Moriah and he went into through the East Gate. Okay. Let me tell you why that's important, because the Garden of Eden literally was called paradise. Paradise means a garden enclosed, and apparently the original Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were in this perfect garden with God, there was only one gate, and it was on the east side. And then you know about the tree of life, and then there was another tree, don't eat this one, they ate the wrong one, and then Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, meaning they were kicked out of the only gate that was there, which was on the east side. And we believe that the Garden of Eden was on top of a mountain, so they went down the mountain, literally they descended into sin, and now into the wilderness with thorns and thistles, and they're kinda of like, oh ah, help! So God's up there in the perfect paradise, and he goes, ah, but I still love them. And I want them, and I'll forgive them. So from the Garden of Eden, God sent his son down through the birth of his son Jesus into the wilderness of this world. And Jesus grabbed Adam with one hand and Eve with the other and he said, follow me. And he went back up the mountain and he brought them right to the east gate. The Bible says that God put angels with swords to make sure Adam and Eve did not cross back into the garden. Otherwise we'd be permanently eternally in sin and it would have been horrible. So there's angels with flaming swords. So symbolically what Jesus did is Adam stay here, Eve stay there. And Jesus walked through and the swords of God's holiness came upon Jesus and his body broken, his blood was shed. Once the blood of Jesus was shed, the angels stood back. And now because of the blood of Jesus at the east gate, Adam and Eve were readmitted to Eden. That's the gospel in a nutshell. So he's coming back again. And he says, I'm gonna, he literally ascended from the Mount of Olives up into heaven into the clouds He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. And you and I will get to be there and see him the second time as the lion to go through the east gate. So this is a very, I just wanna celebrate this. We're practicing on Palm Sunday weekend of going, we're gonna be there, you're gonna be there. Look me up, let's all get together at the east gate to shout for Jesus as he comes back in through the east gate as a lion, amen?